Well, good morning and welcome to New Life Dresher's Easter morning service. My name is Anthony Gamage. It is a pleasure uh, to be with you today. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life where we exist to know Jesus and to make him known. And, and there is nothing I would love more than to say, He is risen this morning and have you return. He is risen indeed. But uh, alas, that's not the day and age we uh, live in. Uh, but in some ways, as I was meditating on this this morning, uh, I was thinking how in some ways this probably feels like the first, more like the first couple of Easter that God's people celebrated than we've had to experience for a time because a lot of times that was in hiding or in smaller groups. And so uh, either way, it is good to be with you. Uh, we would love to connect with you if you are new, if you're listening from a distance. Uh, you can find out more about us. You can download our app uh, by searching New Life Dresher in whatever app store that you use. And if you have questions or want to connect with us, you can text the word connect to the number uh, that's on your screen below. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and again, to answer any questions that you uh, have have about anything that you've heard here today. But thanks for joining us, and it's a joy for me to, to share a little bit from God's Word with you this morning. So growing up, I grew up in the Virginia Beach area of Virginia, and uh, water is a pretty prominent feature near beaches, as you know. And so over the summers, especially when I was in college, I would come home, and there was one of my friends, uh, we'll call him Sam, who his dad had a boat. And he would reach out to me sometimes. He'd say, hey, Anthony, let's go out on dad's boat. And, and and so one week I said, okay, sure, let's do it. And he said, I'll call Jay. We'll go out and we'll go tubing or water skiing or what have you. Now, um, full disclosure, uh, I absolutely hate any water activity where I am pulled at high speeds behind a quickly moving boat in a body of water that I can't see the bottom of. It's just a thing. Uh, I know I'm weird. I knew I grew up around water, and that's not normal for people who grew up around water. But, but that is one of my um, strong dislikes. But against my better judgment, on this day, I said yes to Sam as he wanted to go out and have fun because I like people. I'm an extrovert. That's what makes this season hard for me uh, in many ways. But uh, either way, uh, I, one, at one point I said, okay, uh, I'll go out. So I went tubing, right? I was very I'm tall. I'm awkward sometimes. So water skiing is just not in my repertoire. So I go out and, and sure enough, I'm not enjoying myself hanging on to this little inflatable thing, bouncing, uh, just waiting to flip off and have water shoved so deep into my sinus cavities I can't, um, you know, stand it. And, and sure enough, that happened. I got back on the boat. Well, uh, let me say this. Uh, there was one terrifying moment when I was in the water and I realized this is very different than water skiing in a lake because we were on the Chesapeake Bay at this point, okay? So in a lake, not only is it scary because there's, you know, you can't see what's underneath you. Uh, in the bay, there are sand sharks uh, and then there's a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier that's steaming towards your head and there's these things called currents right in the bay because of the moving of the tides not only do you go in the water and just kind of bob you're watching the boat go further and further away as you're getting pulled in the opposite direction I tell you about currents for a reason. Uh, my friend Jay gets on the tube and he's going around and we're pulling him and I look and there's the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel and it's the bridge portion and I'm thinking to myself, I sure hope Jay doesn't go into the water anywhere near here because if he does, the current is pulling towards the bridge. And so if he goes in, we might very well lose track of him because if he goes underneath the bridge, first of all, how terrifying uh, to do that. But, but if he does, the boat can't just simply go through any old place. It has to find a wide enough opening, go in and come back around. And so I'm thinking, we may lose him lose sight of him if he goes in the water. He was wearing a life preserver, right? Uh, and so here we go. Sure enough, he wipes out. 
and he's getting pulled towards the bridge and we go into this like lifeguard rescue moment right and so I'm turning around I'm like Sam let's go get him out of the water and so uh, we're steaming around and and here he comes and and I've got my arm hanging over the side to grab Jay and and in my mind we're going like 60 miles an hour probably going like five right and so I'm hanging my arm over and and sure enough Jay grabs it we pull him over we're high-fiving I mean I am practically a hero in this moment not at all, right? Uh, but, but either way, uh, we didn't lose Jay. He survived. Now, uh, let, me, let me just uh, paint a picture. What would happen if when we got back to the dock, he sat there on the boat, and me and Sam were like, hey, let's grab our stuff. Let's go and have a good time. Celebrate the fact that uh, Jay is alive. And Jay just goes, hey, I am so thankful you saved me from the water. I'm just going to sit here and just, just think about it. Just kind of live out the fact that I was uh, saved from the water there. And, 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 and we're like, um, how long are you going to sit here, Jay? And Jay's like, man, maybe forever, right? Like, really? I mean, the reason uh, we saved you from the water is so that you can go out and live this life now, right? Well, the reason I tell this story is because um, what I find oftentimes in the Christian life is that uh, we're kind of like Jay, where uh, we understand the cross and we understand that Jesus saved us from our sins. He rescued us from God's wrath. He, he saved us. But, but, but we don't really understand what happens oftentimes after that. That there is a resurrection life that he calls us to after he has saved us. And, and I will admit to you that during this time of the quarantine, that I've found myself kind of uh, stuck in that Good Friday mentality and forgetting about Easter Sunday. Now, I know I'm oversimplifying the work of the cross, okay? Let me just uh, name that. There's far, it's far more robust than what I'm painting it as right now. But, but even this week, I'm going, Lord, you've, you've saved me, but, but what does that mean for me now, particularly as it pertains to this quarantine, weird, strange time that we're living in? I have felt like Jay an awful lot this week, and I've lost track of the everydayness of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection and it's everydayness. So, so, um, uh, so let's go from here. Where, what, what I began to do as I started thinking about this a couple weeks ago is saying, where in God's Word has somebody wrestled with this? Where they have kind of felt like I do, like you're stuck in this weird form of prison, but, 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 but wrestled through as well what living a resurrection life looks like. And I thought of the Apostle Paul. I thought of the book of Philippians. If you don't know about the book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul, uh, it's essentially a book that Paul wrote from a prison cell. He was in jail. It's kind of how this feels right now, right? I imagine uh, he, uh, he felt like he had lost a lot of his comfort. He had the lack of ability of just calling a friend and hanging out. They didn't have phones back then. I know. He lost his freedoms, right? Yet this is the book in the New Testament that mentions joy more than any other book. How could that be? Well, this morning we're going to just wrestle briefly through this idea that, that for the follower of Christ, we have been called to a resurrection life. And we're going to wrestle that through through the lens of the Apostle Paul. Now, let me give you some background. We're going to be in Philippians 3, uh, and we're going to begin in verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But, but just before this, just to give you some context, he was writing about this fact that um, he had a lot of confidence to be gained in himself up until this point when he became an apostle, uh, which is a, a spokesperson for the person of Jesus Christ. 
He said, here's some of the things I had. I, I came from the right people for my religious time, right? I was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I came from the right subset of those people. I was a Pharisee, right? The most rigid of these religious people. He said, I was super zealous to the point where I was willing to kill people for the right reasons, right? To protect uh, religion as I saw fit. And he also said, I was actually blameless, which to me feels ironic because he was killing people, but then he calls himself blameless. But nevertheless, he said, I was perfect with regards to my law-keeping. So he had power, he had prestige, he had drive, he had perfection. But in verse 7, he makes an about-face and he says, but I count all these things as loss. How, Paul? How from jail, and after having these things, that many of us would hold in high regard? Can you count them as loss? We'll pick up with me in Philippians 3. We're going to read 8 to, uh, 8 to uh, 11. It says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pray with me as we get going this morning. Lord, um, would you be with us on this Easter Sunday? And would you reveal to us in a unique way this resurrection life that you have called all those to who have placed their faith in you? Holy Spirit, would you speak in and through me? And would you speak to whoever might be listening to this whenever they may be listening to this? And, and Lord, if they have not experienced your resurrection life, would you, through the Spirit, introduce them to yourself through this time? We love you, Lord. Thanks for this time in your name. Amen. All right. So let's dig into the Scripture. So today, we're gonna, uh, here's the outline. We're going to be looking at the fact that God has called us off the boat into resurrection life to knowing a resurrected Christ, to living out resurrection power, and to persevering in resurrection love. And so first, let's look at this idea of knowing a resurrected Christ. Verse 8, did you see that term? He said, I count it all as loss because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything in his gain category switches to a loss category because he has gained something else. And this thing that he has gained, he calls it surpassing worth, right? The worth of this passes everything else that he has built his life around. All those other aspects of his life that we just talked about, that he had confidence in, it passes the worth of all of those things. What is that? When verse 8 he says, it's knowing my Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is Jesus' name. Christ is his title. He was a Messiah or Savior. Lord depicts this idea of kingship or rule over all things. And he says, knowing this Jesus Christ surpasses all. It's more valuable than anything. Now Jesus himself talks about this in Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. He says this, the kingdom of heaven, and let me give you a little bit more background. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. And later he says, I am the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. 
Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and he buys that field. He keeps going. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had bought, or that he had, and he bought it. Those are parables of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. One of the main times that I can remember uh, experiencing this in my own life is what my friends would have probably called the glaze phase. Uh, the glaze phase is when uh, they would talk to me and I just kind of had this glaze over my eyes because I was somewhere else. And the place that I was was thinking about this young woman who I had recently met. Her name was Sarah. She is now my wife. And during the season when we were dating or engaged, <laughs> there was this surpassing worth to her, to knowing her. That basically, um, you know, and you know this, you have friends who, who all of a sudden they just disappear for a while, right? Because they, they've fallen in love. And so everything else kind of takes a back seat. That's how it was with Sarah. I remember one day calling her on the phone. I'm like, hey, what are you up to tonight? She's like, oh, nothing much. I'm like, you're up to nothing much? Okay, good. So I hang up and, and, and I uh, cancel everything I was doing that day and I get in my car in Harrisonburg, Virginia and I drive about seven hours to Columbus, Ohio where she was just so we could go out on a date that night. I didn't enjoy that drive, but it didn't matter because I was going to hang out with the love of my life. I was going to know her better and just spend a few hours with her. I remember when I was on campus doing campus ministry and had hard meetings with some of the administrators uh, on the campus or hard meetings uh, with students on campus. I remember uh, they didn't feel quite so hard because I knew as soon as we were done, I was going to go home, I was going to pick up the phone, and I was going to call my bride-to-be. Friends, that's the picture that Paul is painting about his relationship with Jesus Christ that that deep knowledge of him kind of caused everything else to fade in the background with regards to importance. J.I. Packer says this. He says, Once you become aware that your main business here on this earth in life is to know Christ, then most of life's problems fall into place. Now what Packer doesn't say is most of life's problems go away or they become super easy, right? And so I don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But what he is saying is, is we gain perspective on the rest of the world when Jesus Christ becomes that of surpassing value in our lives. So here's the fountain from which all the rest of this message flows, is that resurrected life is a life that experiences oneness with Christ right now on this earth. This is unique to the Christian faith, that the God of the universe is actually knowable to a human being. We can talk to Him and pray with Him and He can experience our sorrows and our joys with us. He is a knowable God. He's not this distant God barking orders. He came down to earth to suffer to be known by us. He's not this ethereal force that we can never approach. He's saying, no, actually, you can approach me. Now, I've struggled with this in this season. I'll be honest. There's been moments of hardness or apathy in my own life where I've gone, Ah, oh, Lord, where are you? And admittedly, my wife and I, very recently, this week, had this conversation of, Hey, we're around each other a lot, but we feel like we don't, we're kind of missing that intimacy with one another where uh, we're not really talking and sharing what's going on. How can we rebuild that? Uh, because, you know, we, we have teenagers, right? We have kids that are around constantly. 
And so how do we build uh, this, this knowing of one another? And, and I would say some of the things that we talked about are some of the principles that we could build into our lives now, even during quarantine, to know Jesus more deeply. One, we could share our deep longings. It's amazing how quickly that kind of goes away, even if we're around each other. But we can share our deep longings with the God of the universe. We can lament to him. We talked about that at the Good Friday service. We could share how long is this going to go on. We can talk about our deepest joys. We can, we can ask Jesus, the God of the universe, for things that are deeply meaningful to us. We can spend time with him, just like my wife and I can just spend one-on-one -on -one time with one another. We can spend one-on-one -on -one time with God, not just in prayer, but, but also in his word. Here's a cool thing about God's Word, is that if you want to know how the God of the universe responds to certain circumstances, we open this up and we look at how Jesus responds. How does Jesus respond to death? Because we see it all the time. Well, go to John 10 and see how he responded to, to Mary and Martha in the tomb of their brother Lazarus. He wept. We can see how he responds to the sick and to the needy. We can get to know the God of the universe in the pages of Scripture. We can also simply listen to Him. I haven't experienced it as much as some, but maybe some of us have moments of quiet where we can just sit, read a verse, and sit in silence. Be still to know and know that He is God, and you can know Him. Now, here's the caveat, is that there might be some who are watching who want to experience this oneness and resurrection life, but, but, but just like in my marriage, that, that true oneness wasn't experienced until we were actually married, until we stood on the altar and said, I do, God is saying, hey, <laughs> you can't know me untruly until you say, I do to me. It's that uh, prayer where we say, Jesus, I believe I am who you say I am. I am a broken down sinner who deserves God's wrath but that through the cross and your sacrifice that I am truly loved. And that saying I do also says, I believe who you are. You are my Savior and you are my Lord. If you can prayerfully say, and by prayerfully I mean in a prayer, Lord, I do to those realities of who you are and who he is, then that's all it takes to know him. It's not cleaning yourself up. We'll see in verse 9, it's simply through faith in his rightness that we can know him. But if we do that, then we can experience what we see here in the second bullet point, the living out of resurrection power. Let's look at verse 9. We see him say, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, he says, and be found in him. So this is an important term. You know, in order for, to understand how Paul can get to finding joy even in the midst of jail, we need to look at where he is. And I'm not talking about prison. I'm talking about him being in Christ. Paul, throughout all of his letters, I'm not sure if he ever calls a Christian a Christian. Maybe he does, but it's not often. In fact, the term he uses most often to depict what a Christian is is saying it is a person who is in Christ. And so, for the one who puts his faith in Christ, immediately, Paul says, you are now in Jesus. Being in Christ, verse 10, means we have access to something that maybe we've never thought about before. He said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. 
He's saying being in Christ means we experience the power of His resurrection. That power is the power that is currently extending from Jesus, the resurrected Christ, as He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Now here's this, I've given this illustration before about what being in Christ means, in particular uh, thinking about this metaphor of a plane. So if this plane is going to London, right, and, and you want to go to London, where do you want to be with relationship to the plane? Well, you don't want to be uh, at the gate looking through the window, do you? No, because it's going to leave without you. You have no benefits of that plane. Do you want to be hanging on to the wheel? Well, no, because you're going to experience the benefits of that plane flying for just a moment, and then it's over, right? Where do you want to be? You want to be in the plane. Because when you're in the plane, you go where the plane is going. You experience what the plane is experiencing in the safety of that plane. That's what Paul is talking about when he's saying we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are experiencing all the benefits of being Christ himself because we are in him. He talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Let me read that for you. Real quick, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here comes the resurrection life, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, there is an already not yet to this aspect of the resurrection life. Yes, there is a not yet peace that will come. One day we will experience, uh, the follower of Christ will experience a bodily resurrection when Jesus comes back to make all things new. But there's also an already peace to this. You know, here when he's talking about being raised up with Christ, he's using the past tense. He's saying we have been raised up and seated at the right hand of the throne of God with Jesus Christ. Me, like many others, have, have kind of tried to take up a new hobby during this whole quarantine thing, and I tried to do this sourdough starter bit. I'm not sure how successful it is yet. I'm only on day seven, but uh, early on in the process, when the yeast and stuff start building, you can have this uh, bubbling over of this starter onto the counter. And this is kind of the picture that I see of the resurrection life that will one day be for every follower of Christ, that even in this life, bubbles over into our current realities. So let me give you three things of what this resurrection life bubbling over into this reality means for us. One is resurrection life is a life of present victory. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrected life means he has defeated sin and all the power that it holds, including death. So what that means is, is for the follower of Christ, if we are in him, that power of the resurrection is flowing through us right now. He's conquered sin, therefore we, in his victory, have also conquered sin. Now, now, don't get me wrong, we are going to constantly be fighting against the impact of sin on our lives, but it is spiritual psychosis to think sin has any power over us. It doesn't. It was defeated on the cross and through the resurrection. So what that means is it doesn't matter what our pasts are full of. That we did not out-sin, nor can we out-sin Jesus and His love for us and His offer of a relationship. He defeated that already. God doesn't love a future version of you better. He died for the current version of you. 
You don't have to wait to get to your better life and overcome the shame and guilt that you experience in order for that victory to be yours. He's saying it's yours now. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the, those who have placed their faith in Christ are new creations now. I've moped around all week having moments of, of just, uh, you know, taking out my discomfort, lack of control, whatever it may be, on my family and just kind of kicking myself and saying, Ugh, Anthony, how on earth can you preach an Easter sermon? You're just moping around. You've forgotten about these things. You know, and the Lord just has continually reminded me in this moment of saying, Hey, part of getting off the boat is repenting to my family and saying, I'm sorry. Part of getting out off the boat is believing and trusting that, that no, I don't have to give in to that temptation. Getting off the boat is using this time to live out that victory and fight against the sin that pesters us so deeply and so often. Our general has already taken the hill. Let's follow him in that victorious battle. Now, if you fast forward there in the book of Ephesians when it talks about the individual's resurrection life, he then talks about in verses 14 and 16 this reality where, and let me just read it to you, he says, For Jesus himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility through the cross. He says that he may reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So part of resurrection life is the individual victory that we experience, but he also calls us in a resurrection life to community. Friends, we have been fully known by God, but he gives us the church and the body of Christ to help us understand that more deeply at a horizontal level so that we can be known and know others at a deep level. If we aren't known and we don't know others well, particularly within the body of Christ, we've stayed on the boat. We've been social distancing for far longer than the last month. You know, I praise the Lord for brothers in my life who even uh, at the end of this week I went to and I said, hey, I've been having a hard time being constantly around um, uh, people, right? My family, I'm trying to work and write sermons and there's just people around. I have had a really hard time with feeling out of control and with fear. And I have taken it out on one of my children. I have taken it out on my wife just by making these little biting comments. I need you brothers to know this about me, to hold me accountable, to ask me how I'm doing, to remind me of the gospel and to pray for me and to go to the foot of the cross with me. That's what God calls us to in resurrection life, is to live out that type of community, to be known and to know others to that degree. Friends, nobody's perfect. I don't care what their Instagram account looks like. If we think someone's perfect, then we're just social distancing. Nobody's perfect. That's why Christ had to die, is because we are not perfect. My prayer is that the church becomes less like a conference and more and more like the word-centered community it was intended to be. Here's a third implication, is that resurrected life yields a life that is also on mission. You know, if you read Matthew 28, which is uh, at least one, um, one depiction of the resurrection of Jesus, it's Jesus rose from the dead, here's the report of the guard, and here's the Great Commission. 
Jesus almost immediately after the resurrection is saying, hey, part of resurrection, resurrected life is you now going out on mission as my followers. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. Now go out and be ambassadors talking about the peace that can be made between broken sinful human beings and the God of the universe through the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, he wants us to get out of the boat. He wants the resurrected life that we experience individually, that we experience corporately as a church, to go out of these walls. Even though we are in quarantine right now, friends, we have tons of opportunity to live out on mission. We can do it just by talking to people, calling people, going on walks, you know, now I feel people are more prone to talk about something beyond sports. Sports don't even exist anymore, really. And people are far more prone to talk about real, meaningful, deep things. The needs are immense. We can go buy groceries for people and bring them. We can figure out what needs we can meet. We can be the hands and feet of Christ and live out a resurrected life in unique ways that we haven't been able to before a month ago. Well, here's the last thing that we see in verses 12 to 14, is that we can persevere in resurrected love. Resurrected life means persevering in resurrected love. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is, lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Did you hear him say a couple of times, I press on, I press on. Paul's saying, yes, I've received the resurrection. Yes, I have been saved. Yes, I can live out the resurrected life from jail, but I'm still not there. Even from my jail cell, I need to press on and press in to the resurrected love offered us in Jesus. And, and, and why can he do it? Did you hear what he said in verse 12? He said, I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying, I can press on because I've already been brought in. The picture I have is of this loving parent as his child is just learning to walk, right? They're just kind of bumbling and stumbling and, and falling and scraping their knees and bumping their knees, and, and it's hard. But you know, there is his parent at the finish line, sitting there saying, come on, keep going. I've been there. I know it's hard. You can do it because you're mine, and I'm right here, ready to grab you, help you. I love you. Take that next step. So friends, maybe two thoughts in conclusion. This Easter, some of us need to get into the boat. Some of us are being pulled along by the current of, of whatever philosophy or ideology uh, that we are pulled along by right now. And Jesus is inviting you to take his hand and get in the boat. Again, that is simply acknowledging who you are, who he is, and that you desperately need his death on the cross and his resurrection to bring you into that relationship with him. But if you pray that, or if you have prayed that, 
I think his invitation to us this Easter is to get out of the boat, to experience resurrection life. We can live a resurrected life because we have been loved by a resurrected Christ. May that be true of our lives. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, for myself, I pray that you will drive these truths home. Lord, I feel myself sitting in the boat, but I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will call me to get out, to live in the victory you've already secured for me, to live in the community that can reflect your love to one another, and to take that resurrected life outside of the walls of the church and to the community around us. Lord, I pray that not only for myself, but for every person who is hearing this, wherever they may be. And Lord, I pray that if there are people who have not gotten, in, gotten into that boat yet, who have not received your love, who has not received your resurrected life, I pray that right now they would do so. Lord, help us to live this very strange Easter Sunday in a way that depicts not only your salvation, but your life that you freely offer us as new creations. We love you. Thanks for this time. In your name, amen.